You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. In the name of our triune God, know that you have grace and mercy and peace. Amen. So I like to take pride in myself on being a little bit strong-willed and not one who's easily swayed by what the majority might be up to or, for that matter, what my wife would like for me to be doing. Uh, This wasn't always the case, and as I prepared for this week's sermon, I was reminded of a time where I was actually caught up in what the crowd was doing. This week, I, I had some trouble deciding on Uh, What in this story, what in this scene of the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem was relevant to this gathered crowd? Towards the end of the week, I was getting a little desperate, and and I kept looking at my bare, untattooed, virgin forearm flesh, (laughs) wondering how I could pull off a Palm Sunday tattoo a la Pastor Nadia's Lazarus. I don't need a Palm Sunday tattoo because, uh, well, for one, I don't think it's really all that cool a scene. It'd be a kind of a hard one to pull off. And for another, uh, I, have a, I have something else that reminds me of a time in my life when I got caught up in the fervor of a crowd. And I was reminded of that when uh, Pastor Nadia and I were meeting this week and she was laughing at me because of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my family's, uh, we have a, a family motto um, that I have the Latin of, but I can't pronounce. Maybe Amy Summer could help us out with that later on. But it goes a little bit something like this. It seemed like a good idea at the time. That's our family motto. (laughs) That's the way that uh, my dad and I especially operate. Uh, We had a birthday party yesterday, and um, there was one of the kiddos had broken his arm the night before, a little two-year-old. Very cute, he's all right. But we started uh, a pool on which of the kids, which of the cousins would be the first to get stitches. Uh, Because that's kind of just how we roll. I can't say that the time back in college, though, when I let myself be convinced that getting my initials branded into my arm with a red-hot coat hanger actually qualifies as a seemed-like-a-good-idea-at-the-time kind of event. But it happened anyway. See, in the midst of trying to fit in and be one of the guys, I did probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. And I've had to live with the permanent consequences of it every day since. It seems to me that sometimes there is wisdom in the midst of a crowd, and sometimes there is folly. For instance, that that notion of wisdom of a crowd actually comes from something very scientific. Back in 1906 at a county fair in Plymouth, England, 800 people participated in a contest to estimate the weight of a slaughtered and dressed ox. And there was a statistician there, and he observed that the the median guess of 1,207 pounds was actually accurate within 1% of the true weight of 1,198 pounds. Even though the individual guesses were drastically off base, either they're way too high or way too low, the collective wisdom of the crowd actually came pretty damn close to describing reality. On the other hand, the folly of a crowd can be witnessed time and time again when a sports team wins a big game 
and rioting ensues as a way to celebrate. Individuals who would never on their own have a predilection to burning trash cans or turning over cars with the help of some intoxicating lubricant and the encouragement of a crowd around them seem to join in on the mayhem without a second thought. And if you think that this can't happen, uh, just it, it can happen kind of anywhere. Um, a couple years ago, it actually happened in Canada, of all places, where everyone is just you know, so polite, um, everyone is just so well-meaning, well, uh, and they were overturning cars and burning stuff, even in Vancouver. Oh, geez. <laughs> so as we consider this crowd and the account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, there might be an element of both wisdom and folly at play as this parade enters town. Now, I'm not saying that this parade was like anything they'd ever seen before, or for that matter, anything we'd ever seen. It wasn't a parade filled with cray-papered floats or animals or sports cars or shriners in their little cars or beauty queens or even drag queens and leather daddies or dykes on bikes. This was a parade headed up by Jesus on a colt and or a donkey. It's a little fuzzy. Before him lay a carpet of palms and a cloaks, and behind him was a ragtag bunch of disciples and women and healed lepers and formerly blind men and all sorts of other riffraff. Upon seeing this parade, the, the crowds that gathered started shouting, Hosanna, God save us. And then they started asking the question, who is this? You see, perhaps without even considering the words that were escaping their lips, the crowds shout loudly, God, save us. There is, like I said, both wisdom and folly in the crowd and in those words. The wisdom part is the recognition that this person Jesus, in this person Jesus, there is salvation. While the crowd might not know that his brand of salvation isn't going to be the militaristic overthrow of an empire that they might want, it's a salvation that lifts the veil of human arrogance and sin and opens up a new way of living and being. It opens up a new way of self-understanding and invites participation in a communal way of existing that is very different than they knew. The folly in these shouts is that accepting this sort of salvation means giving up a hell of a lot of control and maybe even comfort. For the crowd, it meant putting their trust in something other than the occupying force for peace and security. Or for that matter, for the religious, to putting their trust in the religious establishment for their salvation. And for us, all these centuries later, it means that our, identi our identity is defined by God not by others. It means that we don't get to let our own screw-ups or shortcomings be our defining characteristics anymore. Our identity is that of a beloved child of God, and while that may sound all warm and fuzzy, it actually scares the crap out of me. See, when I first started going to church, I was one of those folks in the crowd. I sat back and observed. I watched from afar, not really wanting it to be, all be true. I didn't want to accept the fact that I couldn't save myself. I didn't want to let go of the control that I had managed to create in my life. I liked my life just the way it was. I don't even know why I started going to church or when the message of God's love first started to set in, but I do remember 
the first time I journeyed through Holy Week and found myself not wanting to stand on the outside anymore. For some reason, the foolishness of God's love story with us started to make sense. I found myself seeing all the control and all the other stuff as my own foolishness. And I couldn't stand on the outside any longer. I had to join in with the procession, even if it meant some discomfort. And even if it meant my whole world might change. And maybe that's the point of this whole thing. Maybe that's the whole point of this whole journey that we're on together is to recognize the folly in what God does. To stop being a part of the crowd and to actually join in that parade of riffraff and become even more foolish. For those of us who have heard the rest of the story, we know what lies ahead. Jesus spends a few days pissing off both the religious establishment and the occupying power and ends up at the end of the week suffering torture and ultimately death. His death, though, is is not one in vain. His death has power. His death has purpose. His death has vision. The Apostle Paul says, in essence, that from the outside looking in, the cross that Jesus is placed upon looks like foolishness. But to those who have stepped out of the crowd and who have started to follow Jesus, it's actually God's power on display most triumphant. To stand in the crowd and simply observe all this go down is missing the point. By following Jesus this week and in the lifetime that is to come, we might slowly be able to comprehend the wondrous power and love of God. By following Jesus, or as Paul puts it, letting the same mind be in us that was in Him, the world and our experiences of it might begin to look a lot different. If we join in on this parade of Jesus' today, we might look around in that crowd and see someone a lot like ourselves. Someone who has similar scars and perhaps even still open wounds. We might look around and see hope for ourselves or be hope for someone else in the midst of this riffraff, in the midst of this parade. As we walk with Jesus to that cross, our eyes, our hearts, our lives might become open to the possibility Know the certainty that God loves us, scars and all. Jesus entered that city flanked by those who had already experienced some of his healing and love and others who would need the events of the week to come in order to experience it. And aren't we a mix of both? Aren't we a people who already know what is to come? A mix of sinners and saints healed and yet to understand our healing? Aren't we a mix of people who walk around with fresh wounds that need God's tender love and the scars of wounds that remind us of the past and help us live into the future? That's the beauty of this holy week we enter. We can stand with the crowd on that first Palm Sunday and cry out loudly with both wisdom and folly, Hosanna, God save us. But more importantly, we can join in the parade of saints that has followed a humble servant on a donkey and find there is healing and wholeness even for our greatest wounds. Thanks be to God. Amen.
these sermons are meaningful for you, we invite you to support the congregation, and you can do that at houseforall.org. There's a PayPal button there. Also, we'd love for you to come and join us for liturgy. We meet at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Sundays at 2201 Dexter in Denver.